Hi there, and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. This podcast comes to you from the 2022 Lives Conference in Madrid. COVID-19 has wreaked havoc across the globe over the past two years. As it's done so, clinicians have had to learn about the consequences of this novel disease in real time. One such complication is cardiac injury. Antoine Villiers-Baron is an intensivist from Boulogne in France, and he joins me today to discuss COVID-related cardiac injury and the echo patterns that are commonly seen. Antoine, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Todd. Antoine, how does COVID injure the heart and the pulmonary circulation for that matter? Uh, I think uh, we don't know everything uh, right now. Uh, probably this is a complex interaction between uh, different factors, uh, factors regarding the patients and especially the history of the patients. Um, let's say chronic kidney disease, uh, uh, history of cardiomyopathy, age, uh, diabetes mellitus, and so on. So they are the usual risk factors for developing uh, cardiac injury during COVID and the interaction between the, with the virus because uh, probably there are some uh, um, individual sensitivity of the virus. Uh, we are not equal, everyone. Uh, and so um, this is this interaction, which is not very well known. And uh, besides this uh, uh, general, let's say, um, factors, uh, of course, you have the severity of the disease and especially uh, patients who develop uh, uh, severe pneumonia and acute respiratory distress syndrome and who require uh, to be put under mechanical ventilation could develop not uh, LV uh, failure, but probably RV failure. And you have also to add uh, some complication as pulmonary embolism, which is not infrequent in this uh, uh, pathology, which also adds a lot to the development of RV failure, for instance. So it's many, many factors, uh, all interacted together, but uh, quite complex to describe, simply. <laughs> in the available literature, Antoine, how common is cardiac injury in patients with severe COVID-19? Um, I, I will say that probably uh, the larger series uh, regards the paper that we uh, published uh, a few months ago in Intensive Care Medicine Journal, because we uh, uh, included uh, more than 600 uh, patients, critically ill patients, or admitted in the ICU. So this is probably the first limitation of this study, is that we uh, mostly focus on the most severe patients and not, uh, let's say, the overall population, maybe, maybe outpatient or in-hospital patient, but uh, in less severe status. Uh, and the second uh, limitation, of course, is that by definition, it was a retrospective study because uh, at that time it was very uh, difficult to, to develop and to do any prospective study. And in our study, uh, but uh, including uh, 14 ICUs in eight countries, mostly in Europe, but also one ICU in Australia, Sydney, and one in the US and New York City, we found, uh, uh, based on the ECHO study, that uh, around 22% of patients had LV systolic dysfunction and 22.5, so it's the same, uh, develop uh, our right ventricular systolic dysfunction. Um, and in general, if you look at the ACP 
pattern, acute core pulmonale, it was around 90% of patients. So I would say this is um, frequent and uh, uh, frequent enough to have a good knowledge of that uh, of the, of this type of patterns to adapt the treatment. At what point of the uh, the clinical disease does cardiac injury manifest? Uh, once again, my um, my knowledge it's a little bit uh, um, uh, by. Um, uh, I have a bias, you, you understand, sorry, <laughs> Be, because uh, I only uh, work and uh, evaluate the more severe patients. So this is uh, uh, most of the case patients who require a catecholamine infusion because of circulatory shock. And if you look at our study, uh, it was not infrequent to have uh, this kind of patients under a catecholamine infusion. If I well remember, it was between 40 and 50% of cases. If you look at the other papers in the literature, and uh, uh, there is some, uh, let's say, a, a small uh, um, systematic review, not really systematic review, but review of the literature, you may consider that around 60% of patients at one time during the ICU stay uh, will uh, require a catecholamine infusion. So of course, probably due to the septic process or due to superinfection, but also uh, most of the, most of um, most of cases due to uh, uh, cardiac uh, uh, failure requiring dobutamine and so on. What's the clinical significance of cardiac injury? Does it portend a, a worse outcome for the patients? That's always difficult once again to answer to this question because, as you know, uh, you have a lot of factors uh, which interact together. And even so, you, you, you do a very strong and very uh, big and nice uh, statistical analysis. You cannot uh, probably take into account everything. But just briefly, if you look at, it's not finally so different from patients without non-COVID-19 uh, hospitalized in uh, the ICU. And I, I will just say that first, at least in our study and other studies, the LV systolic dysfunction finally is not associated with the outcome. So uh, in ICU or, or in hospital mortality, but second, the RV failure and especially the ACP, acute core pulmonary pattern, was strongly associated with the in ICU and in hospital mortality. And this is something that was already described in, for instance, non-COVID ARDS patients or septic, patient, septic shock patients. Antoine, is it possible to, to uh, identify patients who are particularly at risk of cardiac injury? Uh, yes, probably. Uh, uh, I, I will say that this is a, a little bit the answer of, of the first question, my answer of the first question, which is look at the risk factors. So the age, the chronic kidney disease, the history of cardiomyopathy, the hypertension, uh, look at the severity of the disease. So very uh, simply, uh, does the patient develop acute respiratory distress syndrome? Uh, does the patient need the mechanical ventilation support? And so you may have a good idea of the risk for developing uh, cardiac failure. Of course, if you look at the literature, and especially during the first wave of the COVID-19, you had a, a huge number of papers reporting the uh, potential value or potential interest of biomarkers uh, 
and especially troponine dosage. And there is a link, but it's not new. This is something that we already knew from other diseases. There is potentially a link between the troponine dosage, dosage sorry, and its dynamic and the development of cardiac failure and also the outcome. So probably higher is the troponine, higher is the risk for developing cardiac failure and to have a worse outcome. You mentioned earlier um, a couple of key patterns that are seen. Can you tell us about those? Okay, so it was mostly based not um, it was mostly based on a paper published by Steve Olenberg's uh, team, uh, uh, using the association of uh, echocardiography, but also uh, uh, pulmonary artery catheter, and it was a, a smart study done in a small uh, population of critically ill patients with COVID nineteen. And it was just the combination of the LV ejection fraction and the cardiac index. And you, uh, from these two uh, parameters, you may uh, finally uh, define different categories of patients, those with normal ejection fraction and normal cardiac index, those with low ejection fraction and low cardiac index. In this paper, uh, these patients were considered to have LV systolic dysfunction. If I well remember, it was around 10% of cases, 10% of patients. Patients with low ejection fraction and high cardiac index, and patients with a high ejection fraction and low cardiac index. And I was especially interested by this subgroup of patients and the interpretation the authors did because in that study, uh, they interestingly reported that in these patients with uh, normal ejection fraction and low cardiac index, that there was a negative correlation between the cardiac index and the level of PIP. Higher was the PIP, lower was the cardiac index. And so the authors uh, interpreted these results as potentially still hypovolemic patients, while probably remember very well that you have another uh, explanation that could be RV failure. You have exactly the same profile with a normal ejection fraction, a low cardiac index, and you may uh, worsen the situation if you increase the PIP. Antoine, when you uh, perform an echocardiogram on a patient with uh, severe uh, COVID-19, what are the common features that you find? so, so first, you need to uh, uh, protocolize your uh, study. And this is something that we uh, uh, usually uh, do. Uh, and uh, that's very, let's say, simple, uh, uh, because we uh, just look for uh, the different usual hemodynamic profiles that you may uh, uh, see in every critical ill patient under catecholamine infusion. So first, we look at about the LV systolic function. So very briefly, how is the ejection fraction? And is the ejection fraction, we need to know whether this is acute or chronic. And for that, we need to look at the size of the LV. When this is acute in a previously normal heart, usually the size is normal because the LV cannot dilate in acute condition. Second, we have to look at and uh, to evaluate, sorry, the LV feeding pressure. And so we use the pulsed wave Doppler to evaluate the mitral inflow. And usually when the, uh, L- the um, LV feeding pressure is elevated, 
we have a high suspicion of a really cardiogenic mechanism, uh, let's say, as in myocarditis, okay? Because as you know, in septic cardiomyopathy, usually you do not have this kind of elevation in LV feeding pressure. And finally, we look at whether the uh, contractility of the LV is globally uh, um, um, decreased, or if you have segmental wall motion abnormality, which could uh, uh, tell you, especially in COVID-19 patients, that this patient, that, that one of the mechanism could be ischemia, myocardial infection, and maybe you have to think about uh, doing uh, something else. So this is for the LV. Second, we look at the RV function. Uh, very simply, we want to uh, look for uh, a pattern of ACP, acute corpulmonale, which is the association of RV dilatation and paradoxical septal motion that you usually observe in patients with acute pulmonary hypertension, especially when they are under mechanical ventilation. And finally, we look for maybe uh, still uh, an, hypovolemic, uh, an hypovolemia. Uh, and so I, I like very much because this is a parameter that we uh, developed and published very a lot on, which is the collapsibility index of the supervena cava which is uh, very accurate, uh, uh, providing the fact that the patient uh, is under positive pressure ventilation without any spontaneous effort. And so it's a very simple evaluation and, and I like to do that. And in less than 10 minutes, you know, it's a very uh, quick and focused exam to adapt the treatment. So in COVID-19, finally, nothing is really different compared to the other patients. Finally, Antoine, what are the factors that are leading to uh, patients developing acute core pulmonale in uh, COVID-19? If you look at the, the paper that we uh, published and I spoke about uh, uh, before, uh, that's interesting to, to look at the, the risk factors that we uh, published about developing ACP in COVID-19 patients. It was first uh, the need for mechanical ventilation compared to spontaneously breathing patient. It was already uh, published, but uh, that's interesting to, to, to keep in mind this, uh, this point. The second one was the occurrence of pulmonary embolism, which is probably one of the, of the strongest uh, risk factors in this kind of patients. The third one was the uh, PaCO2. Higher was the PaCO2, higher was the risk to develop ACP already uh, published also in non-COVID-19 RDS, but we had two main differences compared to non-COVID-19 patients. First, the plateau pressure was not associated with the development of ACP. And probably that one of the explanation is that this kind of patient, most of them were obese. And so the plateau pressure is not a very good reflection of the distending pressure of the lung compared to the other patients that could explain that finally the plateau pressure is not very well sensitive to, to, to have this, um, this information. And the second main difference was the PONF, the PONF ratio. In non-COVID-19 patients, we uh, already published that lower is the PONF ratio, higher is the risk to develop ACP. It was not the case in COVID-19 patients and that's interesting because it could support the hypothesis that this kind of patients finally lose or lost the uh, uh, vasoconstrictive hypoxic, um, the hypoxic vasoconstriction of the pulmonary circulation. 
And so finally, uh, developing less level of pulmonary hypertension. Antoine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to uh, to talk about the important echocardiographic and cardiac features of COVID-19. Appreciate your time. Thanks. It was my pleasure, Todd. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. All of Osler's content and features are completely free. Get access to all our great podcast interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our app. You'll also get access to our logbook and other CPD portfolio features, and any Osler learning you do is automatically recorded in your CPD diary. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps, or visit our website at oslercommunity.com.